Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Star Family Wisdom Podcast. I'm Jenna Layden, founder of Star Family Wisdom and a former global vice president for Whole Foods Market. Star Family Wisdom is a paradigm-shifting podcast community and online school for your spiritual and cosmic evolution. And if this is the first time you're here, thanks for joining. And if you're coming back, thanks for tuning in again. We're so excited to be here with you and to be having these profound and important conversations about the nature of our reality, what's possible, and how our consciousness is expanding as humans. If you are on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and like, leave some comments, and let us know what you're interested in learning about, what you want to have conversations about, so that we can curate our future podcasts just for you. So today's episode is a really good one, and it is a solo episode between Sinead Wellahan, our podcast co-host, and Preston Dennett. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his friends and family and co-workers were having unexplained encounters and this clearly piqued his curiosity and since then he has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of phenomena. He is a field investigator for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He's a ghost hunter, paranormal researcher, and he's authored over 27 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. You can find his articles in magazines like Atlantis Rising, The MUFON Journal, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, and more. And his writing's been translated around the world. He's also being featured now on radio and television programs, including UFO Hunters and Coast to Coast AM. Preston is also an award-winning science fiction writer and has sold 38 speculative fiction stories. So Preston is certainly doing a lot of prolific work these days. And Sinead has an incredible conversation with him about his journey, his experiences, and what he's learned during these years of research. And in today's episode, you'll mostly see Preston. Sinead's Zoom was not working properly, so she's not on camera, although you can hear her. So if you're on YouTube, just be aware that that's, that's the deal for this episode, but we'll be back in full full camera view next time. So if you're on the podcast apps, jump over to YouTube so that you can see us and we can have these conversations visually if that feels good to you. And I know you'll love today's episode. It's a really good one. We're getting into some some deep research here on the pod. So without further ado, we'll get into it and see you on the other side. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Star Family Wisdom. This is Sinead Willihan going solo tonight with a very, very special guest, Preston Dennett. And Preston is somebody I've been gradually getting to know over a couple of years. He is quickly rising in the ufology community as a respected leader and author and somebody who's passing on really valuable information about our contacts with ETs and more than that. So Preston, I just want to say I'm so happy to have you here. It's a genuine pleasure, and I've been really looking forward to this. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks, Sinead. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm honored and excited, and uh, yeah, doing well. I hope you are too. Oh, I really am. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an interesting time to be alive right now, and I know you feel the same. So that's something that we can discuss as well, is you know why a lot of these 
interesting things are happening around this time, uh, this particular time in human history, because of course there's a, a reason for that. So for viewers who don't know a lot about you, we did give a, a bio, you know, in your in our intro to this episode to explain who you are and why you are important. I feel like you are important in the community, uh -huh. but I want to reiterate, yes, because <laughs> you're somebody who is so prolific. I mean, you put out tons of material. You've written over almost 30 books. Is it 29 books now? 29, um, yep. Unreal. So 29 <laughs> books, <laughs> not to mention uh articles drawings and videos and i mean it's just an extraordinary amount of output so you're somebody who i feel has a very grounded warm communicative approach and you really want to highlight the stories of individual people and stories that are not the ones that rise to the top like the cream and the milk right you look <laughs> for the ones that are kind of just under the surface would you say that that's an accurate depiction yeah yeah i am obviously not in it for the money <laughs> or the fame, you know, I don't, oof, you know, I don't even like, you know, speaking is hard. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm, I don't get me wrong. I have fun with this. I, I really do. I think that's, you know, really been my motivation in helping people. And mm -hmm. I just, I fell into this, you know, as my bio says, sort of by accident uh, as a skeptic. So it's been quite a journey. <laughs> Uh, I can only was imagine. Very difficult in the beginning. I mean, I was not a happy camper. Finding out that all of this was real was almost scandalous. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, because it wasn't taught in schools. You know, my family members, friends were keeping secrets from me. I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I'm like, well, how could? Mm, why didn't you tell me this? And they're like, well, you wouldn't have believed me, would you? And I'm like, they were right. I didn't. Mm, that's true there's a time for everything yeah but here i am 35 years later it's crazy i can't believe i've been doing this most of my life wow well what, what's an example of one of the things that your family and friends knew that they didn't tell you what's one of those things that maybe you wish you'd known or uh... <laughs> um well all of it i mean to know that they're all having encounters and not just ufos but all kinds of stuff but one that really struck me i'm like okay this is it, was when my sister-in-law, who had seen a UFO and didn't tell me at that point, but had waited even longer to tell me that she saw greys, two greys while walking, you know, near her home in Van Nuys. This was late 1970s, maybe early 80s. She was in college. I have to think about the exact date, but I have it somewhere, but I believe it's like 78 or so. And uh, she was walking near her home in Van Nuys, California, late one summer evening, mm -hmm. and saw what she, she thought were two children standing in front of Stag Street Elementary School, <laughs> uh, right under the spotlight. This is what she told me, right? She's an mm -hmm. artist, got a great memory, a really fine attention to detail. Oh. And says so she walked, walked along the sidewalk. So they were, were right there, you know, 10 feet away from her as she's approaching, looking at them, thinking, well, they're can't be kids it's too late at night why are they bald <laughs> they look so strange <laughs> they're, and they're wearing jumpsuits and gosh their skin looks awfully white are they wearing masks this isn't you know halloween what's going on and she got up right next to them and they kind of swiveled and turned and looked at her so they were looked like they were floating a few inches off the ground and when they looked at her like they locked gazes with her <laughs> And she saw the big dark eyes 
And she's describing this to me. And she wasn't, you know, thinking grays. This was at a time when, you know, before Whitley Strieber's book came out. Uh, but Hopkins' book was not quite a bestseller at this point, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'd bought the book Missing Time by Bud Hopkins, but it was a hardback by Richard Merrick Publishers, not Ballantine. Oh, yes. Okay. So, so this was at a time when it really wasn't being popularized in the media. And she had never read a UFO book. She did not know about Grays. <laughs> uh, and, and I had you know, just started learn, to learn. And so I'm like, oh, if she describes, you know, she starts talking about the big head and the skinny bodies and the jumpsuits, I'm going to go out of my mind. Of course she did. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like gray aliens. You know, she's like, aliens? <laughs> and I'm like, well, well, yeah. I mean, what did you think they were? She says, well, you know, I can't tell you. My belief system went right out the window because I knew wow. they weren't human. I knew they weren't human. But she didn't want to think about it. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you something at this point. Did she, because I recall you telling this story before. I think it might have been when Grant Cameron and I interviewed you but you're giving me more detail this time. So let me ask you, did she, for, did she have this experience and then forget as many people do and then remember much later on? Or did she always remember this? She always remembered. Okay. Uh, she didn't get any communication, didn't see any UFO. Her dog was with her, <laughs> her dog, Sarah, did not react. Oh. Uh, and she felt real overwhelming fear when, you know, this... When they were right staring right at her uh, and just walked away as fast as she could without looking back. I'm like, you didn't run? She says, no, I didn't want to run because then I would be losing control. I didn't want to panic. And so I just walked away as fast as I could. Wow. And uh, she, that was it in terms of her having contact. But to hear her say this, her son, my nephew, would later see a UFO and perhaps have a humanoid encounter. So as my other nephew, <laughs> uh, my brother uh, had a very close-up sighting, perhaps a little thing in his arm. Wow. Uh, his wife, my other sister-in-law, had seen blue beings as a young uh, girl, 9, 10, 11. And she also kind of waited to tell me a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, well, what, Christy? You're, oh my gosh, you're kidding. She's like, no, no. And she just, and she, she's also an artist. And she does the covers for my books. Ah, okay. That's who that is. I was wondering. Yeah. I knew it was a family connection. So she drew them out. And I've since shown them to other people who like, said, oh yeah, I had these short, stocky blue beings with you know sparkly eyes in my room and flat faces. I'm like, can I show you a picture? <gasps> And, and they're like, yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, wow. Oh, that's very close to what I saw. Uh, yeah, that's something that you enjoy. I know that you really enjoy recognizing patterns, right, between different stories that you're collecting in, while you're doing your research. And I want to ask you concerning this pattern with your family. Um, you know, it's not unheard of for those of us who are, who are familiar with ufology and with what's happening with ETs and UFOs and what has been happening for some time. Um, we're more aware now that there can be generational contact. There can be generations of people in one family who have contact. So you obviously have that. And then there's another issue, which is memory, right? People often don't remember these very large, impactful experiences that they have with ETs, but they often also do remember. So 
it seems to be maybe you would know far better than I would, but maybe like a 50-50 split. I don't know. In your case, though, in your family, it seems like everyone remembers and a lot of people have had experiences. Do you feel like with your awareness of patterning in the community and with these stories, is that common or uncommon for so many people in one family to have had experiences and to re remember them? I would say it's common because people who have experiences might not remember all of it, but they remember some of it usually. I will say neither of my parents had anything. Uh, and my dad was, I never really got to ask my mom. She, she died when I was 19. Uh, and my, fa my father absolutely was, uh, he hated the subject. <laughs> he hated it. Uh, so wow. maybe, maybe there, that's a clue there in and of itself. Because he was, you know, that is so, sort of a sign I look to people who are just absolutely repulsed by the subject. Yes. Sometimes, you know, it's because they've had an experience that's buried there. But no, I had an encounter and I did forget it <laughs> completely. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Can you tell that story again, actually? Because I know there's been many experiences that you had uh, over many years now that you clearly do remember. And I want, I want to, I'm, I'm just planting this little seed for the audience right now. I want to go into your OBE experiences and how you've been nourishing that journey but for now, what is that experience that you forgot? Because that is a kind of a big one. And then I want, I want to hear again how you remembered it as well. But that was also quite, a, quite an experience coming back to that memory. <laughs> yeah. So I you know, found out UFOs were real in 86. Took me two years to wrap my head around it, really, 87, 88. That's when I sort of joined the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON. Became a field investigator, started interviewing people. Uh, and so by the time 1990s rolled around, I was pretty much neck deep in it. And 92 rolls around and there's a huge wave of sightings over my hometown. I had just moved out of Topanga, but there's a crazy wave of sightings going on, right? Starting in June, June 14th, to mm. be precise. So I was going just crazy with the subject. I was living, you know, living it, breathing it, eating it, sleeping. It was my, it had taken over my life. And late one evening in July of 1992, I was over at my brother Mark's house. The guy who'd seen a UFO and had the little thing in his arm. And Christy, who had seen the blue beings, because they were helping me. You know, I needed to talk about this. <laughs> and uh, we would talk late into the night about UFOs, which we did. And I'm like, okay, you know, I got to work tomorrow. Um, I'm thinking probably it was a Sunday night. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I do know it was late July for a very good reason, which I'll get to. Okay. Uh, but I left. I'm like, I got to go. This was in Woodland Hills, California, very densely populated suburb, but they live on this tiny little street called Golandrina. And I'm had just left their house, maybe a minute or two, three away. And I'm about to hit Canoga Avenue. And there's this hairpin corner that's very tight and very steep. So you can't go more than two or three miles an hour. And in my tiny little, I think it was a Daihatsu car. <laughs> I've been trying to remember this, right? All the details. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I come around the corner and, and I look up to my right and about 300 feet up there, I see what I first think is a bird. And looking at it, I'm seeing, well, that's not a bird. It's glowing. 
maybe that's a firecracker because it was, you know, white and sort of round. And it came in an arc, a parabola, swooping down towards my car. And I'm like, well, that's no firecracker. I'm thinking firecracker because it's late July. Maybe someone still has fireworks. And then it stops in front of my windshield. And it's a little orb. Bigger than a golf ball, smaller than a tennis ball. Orange, well, no, yellow-white. Solid, not, not terribly bright. Uh, and it stops right in front of my face. <laughs> Uh, and it's you know as close as I am to the computer, so two feet. Wow. Of, it's, it's over the hood of my car. It's right up against the windshield. Wow! <laughs> and my sense is it's looking at me because I'm looking at it, and I tilt my head to make sure it's not a reflection, even though you you know it's not. Mm-hmm. But you know your mind go does something weird when you see something unusual. You don't jump to like aliens. <laughs> you're like you're like bird, firecracker, reflection, <laughs> weather balloon, <laughs> anything. Please, I'm crazy. But no, um, I was clearly seeing this, and it stopped in front of my face, went to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right, and stopped back again, maybe two, three times right in front of me and I'm like, oh, oh my God. And this thing moves forward over the hood of my car, dips down, almost scrapes the cement on the road and goes straight up. I remember I was gripping the driver's wheel, steering wheel, uh-huh. looking up through the windshield and watched it go straight up and disappear into the you know, outer space, I guess. Wow, 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 wow. And I'd always tell people, well, that's my sighting. And, and you know, I forgot it. I didn't turn around. I didn't tell anybody. It was gone out of my mind for several months. And I'm not even really sure. I'm sure it wasn't over a year. It felt like a, a few months because one day I'm just, huh. It just popped in spontaneously. There was no cue. I just remembered. Wow. So nothing triggered you at all. There was nothing that looked similar to it. Where were you when you remembered? What were you doing? Could not even say. Wow. It sort of just seeped in there in a weird way where I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, then what happened when you had this memory? So it starts coming, it starts seeping back in. And what is your reaction or your response to having this memory? Well, I remembered all of what I just told you. So mm-hmm. nothing new has really come out. Okay. Uh, but I was absolutely, unbelievably flabbergasted, shocked, amazed, delighted, mm-hmm. <laughs> super happy, actually. Okay. No, there was no fear, zero fear with this. Okay. Uh, and uh, I immediately started like, oh my God, Mark, Christy. Because <laughs> <laughs> who are really the only ones who would listen to me? My lots of them were profoundly skeptical sure and and i'm like ufos are real guys and like stop talking about that and i'm like yeah and i'm going out of my body too like (laughs) don't don't go there i'm like but it's true it's true (laughs) so they thought i was losing my mind sure i mean and it's it's interesting how you know i mean that is such a common conversation like those of us who are experiencers we have to be you know, we might have to feel like we we're, we need to be selective in who we tell about our stories because that's a very common reaction. But I find it interesting that people are so quick to say, oh my God, no, I don't go there. I don't want to hear about this. 
but they don't even know it as far as they know. They don't even know what it is. So why, why avoid something that you actually don't even have a clue about in the first place? Like that's kind of an interesting reaction to me, right? Not that it's not uncommon for human beings to reject what is unfamiliar and be afraid of it. That's a pretty common practice with human beings, but still it's this sort of knee-jerk reaction, you know, that people just don't want you to talk about it right away. They don't even want to know. They don't want to ask a question. That interests me almost as much as the opposite of that, because there's got to be something going on there. And earlier you were alluding to people who have a great deal of discomfort with ET subjects, possibly having a repressed memory or repressed experience or something like that. What Have you found any commonality in stories that reveal what it is that people might have experienced when they have that kind of a response? Is it commonly abduction? Is it, you know, dreams? What comes up in your research when you look into that question? Uh, I think people who have a lot of fear um, have a tendency to not want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. I absolutely 100% get it because when I stumbled into this subject, like I said, I wasn't happy. Mm. And I did have a lot of fear surrounding it because the media is like, fear 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 this is bad and actually i bought that narrative which you know i don't don't now i don't think they're here to hurt us at all Uh, i really don't and that's based on you know my research and certainly the research of others Mm -hmm. but yeah i remember how uncomfortable it was for me to even look into this subject because you had to completely i mean it shatters your belief system yeah. It shattered mine. My whole worldview was crushed along with the OBEs. I mean, that's grounded into tiny little bits. I'm like, all right, I'm starting over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I can see why people are like, no, I don't want to go there. And I think the real reason, honestly, Sinead, is because it's a core belief. It's something that's akin to religion, sex, and politics things you don't discuss with people because it, it's really very personal to them. Mm-hmm. And I think when people find out UFOs are real or perhaps they've been taken on board or at contact or it is something that affects them to their core belief system. And Agreed. Um, I know my dad's like, no, I'm not. I don't want to, don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. My siblings were a little bit more, you know, accepting to some degree, but my, um, Mark, Mark was fine. He'd seen one. My, my older sister, my younger sister were fine. Uh, they were very adjusting to it. They don't have any real interest in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but my brother Steven still resists it. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, I convinced him it's real. I mean, I, I was able to present, I'm unfiltered. I will tell, I am they call me uh, inappropriate Preston because <laughs> <laughs> I will ask you anything and I will tell you. And I don't, I'm unfiltered. I can't help it. Gets me trouble at work, you know, sometimes. Yes, I love We're it. I to. love it though. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a valuable characteristic in someone like you because, you know, those of us who, again, are in this community and kind of understand um, or have a different viewpoint, have a different perspective on what reality is, on what being human is about, on what earth is and what we're doing here you know I think you and I have both used the expression that we feel like it's earth school you know (laughs) there's a reason why we're here so you know we might have a different perspective the people who are aware of ETs UFOs believe in them know that they're real I don't even like saying believe in them just know that they're real 
But, you know, there are so many people who really do have a really hard time with it. And you and I have talked about fear before, right? We talked about fear a lot, actually. And that's a topic I really want to go into with you because you've said some beautiful things about fear. And I think that uh, we share a viewpoint about it in the sense of fear being something that can be helpful if you allow it to be, right? And also, it's something that we can choose to engage in or to not engage in. So because you've had so much experience with so many people, your family, I mean, on a personal level, your own family, your own friends, your own individual experience, right? I mean, that's three, to me, three levels of the personal experience that is not the most common that I found in the community, right? Somebody who's had lots of friends and lots of family members and they themselves have had multiple experiences. Corrupt me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen that as a dominant pattern. Plus you're a researcher and an author and you're meeting tons of people who are telling you more stories, giving you more information about what's going on. And you're witnessing this variety of reactions and responses and ways of processing what it is that everyone is experiencing, right? So if you were going to kind of um, bring it down to people who have a fear reaction and people who don't have a fear reaction, why do you think one exists and the other, like, why do you think that people typically have those different reactions to these experiences? Is there something that underlies, you know, in their personality or is it like a past life thing where they feel like it's familiar, they've met them before, they don't need to be afraid? What are you finding there that determines people's fear responses and their positive responses? Yeah, well, what I found is, you know, contact starts at a very young age. If, particularly if you're having extensive contact, onboard experiences, repeated contact. And little kids don't have a problem with it by and large. They see a gray and they're like, hey, <laughs> hmm. You know, the, the, the fear starts around, you know, teenage years. Yeah. Uh, when, when, and it is very common. I would say it's the majority of people do have fear surrounding this. I know I did when I started interviewing people, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is scary stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, well, you know, people are being kidnapped against their will. They're being taken by these bug-like creatures and they have no feeling and they're being experimented on. Because I'm hearing these stories firsthand and I know they're real uh, because of the commonalities between them, because I'm talking to people who I love and trust and have known for years. Uh, for many reasons. I mean, you, vet, you get better at interviewing people and you vet them and so forth. Uh, so the fear response is actually very common. And I came to realize that fear is a guiding force in our lives. Uh, we really kind of just behave and are somewhat controlled by our fears. Agreed. So we're always locking doors and, you know, not trusting people and worried about, you know, the next, you know, making it through the next day or, you know, is there enough money, <laughs> you know, and so forth. We've got a lot of fear surrounding everything. And when my mom died, boy, I was just so afraid. I was living my life in complete fear at that point when the UFOs hit me in the OBEs. I was a pretty fearful guy. Hmm. Uh, very materialist too, very analytical and you know, scientific, didn't believe in any of this stuff. And the fear just got so exhausting, <laughs> I couldn't take it anymore. And the OBEs helped me because the fear that we have is largely fear of death. 
you know, fear of extinction, fear of being hurt, fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started to just get over it in a personal way. And uh, it's very much a spiritual journey, facing your fears and overcoming them. Is oh, I could not um, agree more. <laughs> it's unbelievably, you know, growth-inducing and enlightening. And uh, I still agree. I, yeah, so yeah. I started having OBEs. I'm like, oh, there's no death. And that was amazing. And then I started really looking at what was happening to people who were having contact. Because they're like, I was so scared. I was so scared. I'm like, why? Why? What? They're like, well, you know, I was being physically examined. I'm like, okay. And I didn't know who these things were. I'm like, okay. What did they say? They said, well, don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. <laughs> Every single time. Mm-hmm. Every time, that's what they say. You know, variations. Have no fear. You will not be harmed. But that is the words Grays and ETs will tell you when they contact you. I started to listen <laughs> for the first time. I started to listen because <laughs> it's hard. We, we look through the world, at the world, through the lens of fear, through the lens of our belief system. And my belief system was gone. I mean, I seriously, I, like, I'm not going to believe in anything anymore. I became so skeptical, Sinead, because finding out UFOs were real and there's life after death and ghosts. And I'm like... I don't know what to believe anymore. I'm not going to believe anything. I'm just going to know. This is what I know. And this is what I don't. Mm. There's a difference between belief, you know, faith and true experiential knowledge. Absolutely. A huge difference. So that's what I started to build on. And uh, doing the interviews, I'm like, okay, what actually happens to people is very encouraging. And I couldn't find anyone who says, oh, these ETs are, well, I won't say anyone, but it's uh, somewhat rare. The vast majority of people I interview will not tell me that they think this is evil. Often it was very hard, particularly in the beginning. And there is PTSD and there's nightmares and there's insomnia (laughs) and fear of the dark and doors being double locked and feeling of being watched and so forth. But when I talk to them, uh, the people who don't have fear, for whatever reason, are often, you know, very outgoing people <laughs> who are very just courageous in other fronts in their lives anyway, and uh, just carry that through to their experiences. Uh, like one guy I interviewed, he's a, you know, a pilot and a doctor. He's like, no, they, I wasn't scared at all. They would have to really be hurting me. And I always ask people, well, did they actually hurt you? (laughs) I'm like, well, no, you know, it was scary. They were doing stuff to me. Occasionally people will report brief instances of pain, Mm -hmm, uh, which is almost always quickly relieved. Yes. Yes. Because they, the beings seem to sense that the person is in pain and then give them something to take the pain away. Right. Or not give them something, but I mean, do something or something occurs to take the pain away. Yeah. Yeah. But the scariest thing is being physically examined. Every time I interview people are like, well, they examined me. (laughs) I'm like, well, yeah, this is, you know, doctors do this every day. And we don't like going to the doctors very much either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, People are scared. Uh, So I don't know. I think the fear is largely coming. It's our own fault. It's our own slow spiritual growth we have a fear of, we're trained to fear 
you know, with all the divisiveness and corruption and greed and racism and war and starvation and what have you. So yeah. fear, yeah, overcoming fear is a big deal. And when people who are having contact overcome their fear, boy, do things change. Um, it becomes a very spiritual experience for people. Very, well, not only spiritual, men, you know, mentally enlightening, uh, physical too in good ways. As you may know, I wrote a, a book, The Healing Power of UFOs. I do know. 300 documented cases. That's what I, because I got healing cases right off the bat. I thought, huh, they're healing people. But you were talking about, we can, we can edit that, so don't worry about that. But um, you were just mentioning uh, that ETs heal people and that they're, you know, you wrote a book where there's 300 cases of this. And of course, we know there's many, many more cases than what you were able to gather, even though you gathered such a huge number. They're everywhere. They're all over the world. They're in many other countries. And we hear from many experiencers um, and children who are experiencers that ETs give them messages that they want to help us. They want to participate in helping our awareness and appreciation of our planet and of the, of the, you know, this incredible earth that we live on that really does provide everything that's necessary for life for everyone. You know, it's really human systems that prevent that from happening. Um, and ETs seem much more potential for us than perhaps we see for ourselves. So the data reflects that as well, doesn't it, right? Your own data shows that. Uh, Ray Hernandez's free book, which of course is a very well-known resource, uh, shows that while people may initially have had terrifying incidences of contact with ETs, which makes sense. I mean, just looking at them, it, it's something that is completely unfamiliar to us. Our brain does not know how to make sense of looking at something that is so totally different than what we're used to. So even on that very mundane level, the terror or the fear makes sense. But then eventually, you know, the data shows that eventually these people see benefit. And as you were saying, it becomes very spiritually enriching for them. It really helps them develop who they are as a person. So I want to ask you about that. You know, what do you find that people benefit from as a result of these contact experiences, whether or not they were initially uh, fearful and afraid or, you know, whether or not they were? Eventually over time, it seems that across the board, people experience benefit, they experience growth, they experience um, all kinds of different things. So what is it that you are seeing? that are, um, you know, the most, the strongest evidences of the benefit that people are having from this contact. Yeah, well, I will preface this by saying not everyone's happy about contact mm -hmm. uh, because some people just feel like it was a violation. They really do. And they uh, said the only growth I've experienced is facing adversity, which is growth, but, you know, not the kind of growth you really want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you made it through a, a very scary event, but it, wasn't fun for you and i respect that and i'm not going to say contact contact experiences all puppies and rainbows and lollipops yes. and yes you know, that's not it, fair and it's not realistic and not respectful yeah. i totally agree with you thank you for saying that yeah people do have a lot of fear and it's not necessarily a fun experience for them yeah and perhaps some experiences are negative and a, a small percentage of the people i interviewed feel like this was bad period Mm -hmm. But most know, and I, it's somewhat of a mixed bag because there's a lot of fear, but eventually, uh, or sometimes initially off the bat, but often eventually, and I think this is supported by other researchers like Edith Fiore, PhD, John Mack, MD, 
Barbara Lamb. She has initials after her name too. <laughs> MFT. Just important to say that these people are, you know, not uneducated like me. I have no initials. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, Barbara Lamb feels this way. A lot of researchers have sort of, you know, Dolores Cannon mm -hmm. uh, have come to realize this is a very spiritual, uplifting, enlightening, healing uh, experience for people. And that's absolutely what I found. Because, yeah, first you're physically examined, sometimes healed. And as I was saying, Bud Hopkins, I cornered him. He has cases. David Jacobs, John Mack, Edith Fiore, Barbara Lamb, Tim Beckley, Tim Good, Yvonne Smith. I mean, all, pretty much all of them. Philip Mantle. They have healing experiences. No one was talking about them. And that's when I started to be like, huh, maybe the fear is not warranted. Maybe it's us, not them, because they keep saying, don't be afraid, we won't hurt you. And then they heal you. Uh, and so people who get past that fear barrier, that's when they don't paralyze you. That's when they don't suppress your memories, which is, you know, as I'm coming more and more to understand for our own benefit. It's us choosing, no, this is too scary for me. I don't want to remember this right now. So they'll give it to you as a dream memory or a screen memory, or just flat out say, no, we'll give them a cue when they're ready, a trigger. Mm. So, so people's experiences become very spiritual in that they are taken to see the engine room. And they're, like, and they're like, why are you using fossil fuels? Here's how we do it. We ride the electromagnetic waves of your planet. And it's usually along those lines. They'll take you up to the observation deck. Would you like to see Earth? Saturn, the moon, another planet. Um, very common over and over again. And it's almost never like a standard window with a window frame. The whole wall becomes transparent or the entire <laughs> UFO. Yes. So people yeah, are which like, sounds, which sounds absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it does, it does seem like there's this kind of trend of them. Well, let me ask you, I shouldn't make a statement because I'm not as well researched as you are at this point. You've been in the field much longer than me and you have written all these books, of course. So um, my impression is that people, it does have a lot to do with their fear. It has a lot to do with their own choices, with how they're choosing to move through their human life. Like it's almost as if, you know, the mindset that they choose to go through human life with just regular standard human life, you know, not including ETs or UFO experiences, that that mindset, that approach to life is partially, is like a foundation for, for, um, for successful contact. I'm going to say successful in the sense of, you know, not fearful, um, where there's benefit and there's communication and maybe it becomes something that's ongoing it seems like it really is the person's choice with how they approach their life that has something to do with the way they have these experiences with the ETs as well. And also there seems to be a kind of sense of timing about it as if the ETs or whoever, whatever beings are also out there that are you know, trying to support us, it seems, that they seem to have this sense of timing about when we're ready to have something else happen, you know, or how intense to make an experience or how gentle to make it there seems to be a little bit of that kind of communication um, between them and the human as well, like where they almost give the human permission to say, okay, I don't want this to happen or I do want that to happen. Yeah, yeah. You, are, yeah. Okay, so you're finding that as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just the element of choice and of mindset in all these experiences. Yeah, because people often will say, you know, I did not 
give permission. If they would just knock on my front door and ask, I'd be much more likely to say, okay. And as you dig into it, people start to come around and realize, well, they did give permission. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm talking with a lot of contactees, uh, you know, my latest book, Symmetry. Uh, it's about a fully conscious contactee. And she says flat out, no, people give permission uh, as a general rule. And uh, I have talked to people who are like so fearful, they're like, stop, don't come back, never come back. And it ended their contact. So a very strong willpower, forceful statement can, you know, basically stop contact, at least temporarily. Sometimes they will come back and see if you're ready. <gasps> Uh, but yeah, I think each person is individual. You know, we're all sort of flowers bl blossoming at our own pace. You can't force open a flower. It won't bloom that way. You just have, and you can't overwater it. <laughs> you can't give it too much light. It'll burn up. So it's all at their own pace. And for that matter, each person's contact has individual elements to it. So I like that. You know, there are, the contact experience has incredible commonalities. It follows a very standard pattern for the most part. But every time I interview someone, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I've ever heard that before. It can be just some small little detail, perhaps how the ETs looked or an instrument on the craft or just something they said or, you know, little things like that, which is really cool. It is really cool. Because you're like, hmm. <laughs> And then you get that rare detail. You know, I remember the first time I heard someone, I asked him, like, how big is the room you're in? And they gave me this look, like they were really scared to tell me. <laughs> and they're like, I'm not, this is Kevin Cannon, right? Uh, okay. A Navy medic who had uh -huh. been taken on board this craft with praying mantis ETs that were really tall <laughs> and very communicative or just, you know, talking, talking, talking to him. And I said, how big was the room? Because I want to get all the details. And he gives me this look. He's like, well, no, no, no. I don't know how to tell you this, but this room changed size. Oh. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, it started out like 50 feet across. But then I asked where they're from. The room expanded. It grew in size. And they showed me the star field. You know, and I saw the solar system and the universe. And way off in the distance was this red light blinking. And they said, that's, that's us. That's where we come from. Wow. And here's the name. And they told him the name. And I asked him, what is it? He says, I'm, I, I couldn't tell you. It had a lot of consonants in it. <laughs> I'm like, well, just try. And he goes, well, I didn't know about it. He says, that's the best I can come up with. I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> but, but to hear him say the room changed size, it's like, ooh, that's what uh, another guy told me. He wrote the book, Tri Black Triangle Abduction. His last name is Foster. His first name is, is escaping me. But he, I talked to him and he says, oh yeah, the room changed size. And he asked ETs, how big is this thing? And they looked at him and laughed. They laughed, you know, a gray laughed and said, oh, it's as big as we need it to be. Mm, interesting, interesting, so, interesting. So, so these are little details, which I love, love, love when I get those little patterns. I know you do. I mean, that's kind of why I was bringing it up, uh, you know, earlier on in our conversation just now that I really, I, that's what I appreciate most about your work is you, you notice these patterns that are kind of just underneath the stuff that's most obvious, like the most spectacular or like the biggest 
you know, most impactful story, you see things that are under, under the, you know, underneath it, or um, what's a better expression I can use? You're turning over every stone. You're not just looking at the ground and seeing the stones. You're picking them up and looking at the bottom of them, right? It's kind of like, <laughs> like seeing the back of your bureau, right? Like nobody ever sees the back of their furniture, but it's always there all the same. And you're somebody who I see as doing that. You, you take it the extra mile and you go and look behind things and underneath them and see these details that other people don't recognize. So on that note, you've been posting on Facebook recently about alien books showing up in people's experiences. And that's one of the details that makes me happy that you found recently. Could I get to benefit from all the research you're doing from and you're doing on it, of course. <laughs> so um, maybe you can share a little bit about that because that is directly relating to what you were just talking about, you know, these incredible aspects of bigger stories and experiences that people have but these details are kind of mapping for us the patterns of experiences people have and why they could be occurring so what can you tell us about these alien books that have been showing up in people's experiences yeah well you know in my latest book symmetry which is about dolly saffron she had that experience mm -hmm. and uh she hadn't told me i was just talking to her i'm like what else happened you know tell me this tell me that she had a lifetime of experiences and uh i, I told you know we talk about other people's cases because she has stayed away from the ufo field <laughs> uh, has not researched it she's having these experiences herself so she just said no you know i'm not she just hasn't looked into these things okay and i mentioned that betty andreason had been given a blue book you know betty andreason the uh, contactee from Massachusetts. Uh, her case was investigated by Ray Fowler. It's very well known in this field. Mm -hmm. And she was given this blue book by Kwasga the Gray, uh, which was a very spiritual book, she said. You know, it had spiritual wisdom in it and glowing white pages. And Kwasga said, You can keep this. Don't show it to anyone. It's for you only. We'll let you view it for a couple of weeks. Oh my God. And she kept it in her house. Her daughter Becky saw it and confirmed this. So this okay, is okay. So I I want to ask you a question. Sorry, I was just dying for you to bring up this particular detail because I cannot imagine having an alien book in my home for two weeks and just being able to go and check it out anytime I feel like. So give me everything about this book. Like, could she actually feel it in her hand? What did it appear like to her? You said that it was glowing with this white light and there's a kind of iridescent quality, I think, to the cover. So Get, go through all the details about this book. I'm fascinated. I've never heard of this, somebody actually being able to keep it in their home before. So it's an incredible story. I, I know. I love it. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I was always struck by this case because, you know, alien artifacts are so rare that to have anyone have any physical evidence at all is pretty darn uncommon. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she had this book. It was confirmed by her daughter. Uh, her father saw the ETs as well. And this is a very well verified case. And she was handed this book during this one initial encounter where the ETs came into her home. This is back in 1966, I believe, 67. And uh, they handed it to her. And she put it in the closet. And, uh, you know, then off she went on her ET adventure <laughs> where they you know, put her in this little decontamination device, which I've heard before, Dolly describes it. Uh -huh. uh, you know, she had, you know, it's a, a long involved encounter, but getting back to the book, she came back and remembered the book and uh, pulled it out. 
and uh, there were other people, so she quickly put it back. <laughs> she didn't want her family to see it, uh, but she finally pulled it out a couple of times, two or three times, and looked through it. She said it was very thin, okay. uh, not a lot to it, but it was a regular-sized book with a sort of bluish cover, just solid blue. She didn't say, I don't know if she said it was iridescent or not, but she may have. There's something but, about the um, color. Like it just doesn't look blue the way we see blue, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. It was a, a solid blue book, very thin. And she opened it and it wasn't paper pages. This was like something else with a glowing white light, which, you know, I found other cases, uh, but that matched that. But that time when I read that, I'm like, hmm, wow, this is crazy. And she saw weird symbols, which she tried to describe. Uh, I don't believe she ever drew them out. I looked, she may have, but I, I couldn't find it. Okay. Uh, but she did, you know, see the first three pages were just glowing white. And then there was some symbols and other stuff. And Kwaska told her, oh, this is the book of spirit. It has information that will be helpful to you. Don't show it to anybody. It's got information that could be dangerous to other people. You have to be at a certain level of spiritual maturity to grasp this. It can only be grasped through spirit. Uh, it's all about nature. Uh, love is the answer for man, is what Kwaska told her in relation to this book. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Uh, and uh, she did show it to Becky at one point. And, and Becky remembers. She says, oh, I remember they handed this to you, right? Her mom's like, yes, they did. Uh, be careful. You can't tell anyone about this. And she went to look for it one day and it was gone. And so I told the story to Dolly. I'm like, I don't suppose you had any experience like this. Because at this point, I remembered, you know, Betty Hill. I don't know if you know the Betty Hill story, but Betty was leaving the UFO. And said, oh, could I have something to prove? <laughs> And, and the guy's like, sure, <laughs> what do you want? And she's looking around. She's like, how about that? And on the counter was this book. And gosh, did she describe the color of it? I don't know if she did describe the actual color. Uh, I'd have to look that up because uh, all this stuff is spinning around my head right now. I'm just going out of my mind with this. Uh, and But she picked it up. She said it was hardcover. Okay. It was thin. And there were symbols in it, which she did draw. You know, she eventually did draw them out. I remember that. Okay, okay. And, uh, and she's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is going to be great. And the ET was like, well, you know, do you think you can even read that? And Betty said, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's not, that's not what it's about. This is for me to have some evidence of my experience. Mm -hmm. And the ramp was down and they, Barney was walking out and she was at the top of the ramp and taking the first step down when a buzz started to go among the crew and the leader's like wait and they took the book back mm. and, I always oh, wondered where she got those symbols from I didn't realize it was from a book I thought that it was some kind of channel thing. I remember they both, both Betty and Barney, um, the couple who had experienced this back in, when was that, 53, 54? 61. It? 61, thank you. Um, that they both had uh, experiences where, you know, it was like there was an echo effect. There was a ripple effect after, after their initial gigantic experience where they were driving their car and the UFO appears. Um, and that they, were, they drew different things. Like, didn't she also draw a star system? 
Betty Hill. Yep. She, she drew the star system that they had told her where they were from, I believe, right? Yeah, they initially thought it was just a sighting. Pretty soon realized there was amnesia involved, missing time. Betty had very vivid dreams and she wrote them down and under later underwent hypnosis and her dreams are really very accurate. There's a few minor details that, from the hypnosis uh, and the hypnosis was somewhat more detailed, but not a whole lot. Betty really remembered. And as she's walking off this craft and they took her book and they said, we don't, that's, she says, this, that was my proof. How could you take this? And the leader's like, well, that's the point. You know, we, we actually don't want you to remember. And Betty was furious. She's like, you could take the book, but you will never, ever, ever make me forget. I will remember this if it's the last thing I do. Pretty much a direct quote. Wow. And of, co of course she did. Uh, and uh, boy, if that they just let her keep that book, but it, mm, could be a very different world. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're such like their story really, really, really impacted me, even though it was so long ago, you know, their, their courage, their courage they had in coming forward and telling that story, even back then at that time when they experienced so much ridicule as a result, and also being an interracial couple in 1961, that's not exactly, you know, a friendly environment to be walking around with anyway. So add to that that you're alien experiencers and they had an incredibly difficult time socially, but still they both felt, especially Betty, so compelled to share their story and make sure that other people knew what had happened. And that's just remarkable. So with Betty Andreessen, I want to ask you something about that book. Um, when with Betty Hill, I remember her saying something about she, she felt compelled to record these symbols because they, they held information. That's all I'm really remembering right now. But with Betty Andreessen, she, she saw this book full of symbols and they just gave it to her, from what I recall, without a whole lot of explanation. Um, she was just sort of, and there was something about, you know, you're going to be able to take this information vibrationally into your being, but you won't consciously understand it. Would that be accurate? And do you think that that's a, is that a common pattern as well with, with uh, experiencers who see books like this? Yes. Yes, it is. It does turn up. And it's interesting because I did find, you know, a dozen cases. I'm so upset because I found out Whitley Strieber had this experience. Mm -hmm. Just a couple, someone sent me like, oh, did you, why didn't you include Whitley's experience? I'm like, what? <laughs> it was in his book, Secret School. And it had just escaped me. I didn't realize that he had an experience with an alien book as well, which was so similar. Oh, oh this just drives me so nutty when I hear this. Uh, but yeah, some of them will describe that not remembering it or being told you will remember this when the time is right. Uh, and some of them do describe very much what we would call a download type effect. Uh, but it was really interesting because when I, you know, told Dolly this about like Betty Andreessen, I'm like, did you have this experience? And she got this look and she's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, Dolly, tell me. Uh, and she's like, well, okay. This is pretty, per you know, she, she's been trained not to talk about it. You know, she just learned very early on, don't talk about this. People are going to think you're crazy. She's spent her whole life keeping all of this secret. Uh, so it's really difficult for her to, you know, muster up the courage and go public and spill the beans and tell me all the details. Uh, and she, but she did, you know, God bless her. She did. And she says, yes, 
I have had that experience. And in fact, I've had this book my whole life. And it was there on the craft very early on. And it's still there. And she, she had the most detail of anyone that I could find. Though some had amazing detail. But Dolly says, my book is blue, <laughs> which it is a pattern. And she says it's fairly large, like a photo album. And mm. it has a, a sapphire jeweled-like cover. It's absolutely gorgeous and almost metallic, glassy looking. Okay, I think this is what I'm remembering with the color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go on, very, very sparkly. Uh, and it would actually get thicker as she got older. But she saw it first as a very young girl. And she opened it up. And you know, like Harry Potter books, <laughs> you know how they all have living, living yes. images? Says, that's what she would see living images of you know her life on earth uh other planets whatever she wanted to learn you know star charts other solar systems lots of aphorisms she says initially much of it was about morality and ethics which was a big big thing part of her lessons very early on with the ets as a young girl was pretty much mostly about that, and then moved later to, you know, science and astronomy and physics and mathematics and biology and these sort of things. Okay. So this book was always there for her. You know, she, she has her quarters on the ship. That was really cool to hear because that's exactly what Pat Brown told me. She, Pat Brown was this, you know, beautiful African-American lady who I'd interviewed, who went and saw channelers in Sedona who were channeling ETs, right? Uh-huh. And she says, yeah, if you're channeling ETs, I, I want to go on your ship. And they said, we will arrange that. <laughs> <laughs> in a very kind of voice, right? Uh-huh. And she starts having these, she says, they were terrifying experiences with craze. She hated it. She, she felt violated. It was awful. And it just got to the point where she couldn't take it anymore. She says, if this is really happening to me, I'm not nuts. I know I'm not nuts, but I can't stand this. This is actually happening. I want to be on your ship right now. And she was. They pulled her right up and they took her to her quarters. And they're like, oh, we're so glad you know, you've overcome your fear. Because <laughs> she like, you're not fighting us anymore. And she's like, well, you look really good. Why do you look like that? And they said, well, this reduces your fear. She was seeing a human looking person. Ah, uh, okay. And I took her to her quarters and I started teaching her all the spiritual stuff. But uh, it's just interesting me, to me because you know, this is the pattern I see. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. And she can, I've had other people tell me that like, they took me to my quarters. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and this is what Dolly said. So, you know, what Dolly did for me was to connect a lot of the dots and fill in the blanks. But much of what she's told me, I've heard from other people. But she has no fear. <laughs> she overcame her fear at age 14. Wow. But wait, I'm getting off track. So she has this book and uh, it gets bigger and bigger. She gets older. And uh, once she tried to take it off the ship, <laughs> got in big trouble. Uh, and she says it disappeared, right? She left the ship right as she got home. And uh, she was furious. And so were they. They said, what are you doing? You have very nosy people you live with in your family. <laughs> this book contains very sensitive information that's meant only for you. Mm -hmm. You should not have done that. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they 
she as punishment <laughs> they she was not allowed to read her book for a full month uh, that must have been really hard considering how incredible that thing sounds i mean if i had my own harry potter book i wouldn't let, want to let go of it either so that must have been very yeah. difficult and she says we, we, she says you do um she says we all do uh and that it's related to the akashic library uh-huh uh, which i thought was really fascinating and instantly reminded me of a dream i had <laughs> many years ago in which i was holding a book and i had the sense it was the book of life and it was mine and it was big and i don't remember where i was, it was a dream right but a super vivid dream during this whole obes that i've been you know we haven't really gotten into but yeah i have a lot of obes we're going to get into it i think it's related to <laughs> but so i opened it up and i'm like whoa there's you know what white glowing pages very white pure 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 like looking into the white light of the near-death experience right yes of the other side and the images are so super real almost holographic and moving and i'm like wow and so detailed and like all about my life or life on earth i couldn't really tell you but i found so many cases like this Sinead. jeff selver sent me his book he is a recently out of the closet contactee i'm just hearing about him myself yes please tell us about him yeah yeah he wrote a book called the rising he's from canada and i'm really enjoying his book because he has some very extensive experiences uh, not a lot of fear um and it's just really you know I love the first-hand stories because uh, so much out there is speculation or, yes. or let's face it, outright disinformation, nonsense, or rehashes. But his is new information. I feel like he's trying very hard to, to tell it like it is. Mm. And I'm like, gosh, I think I remember he, he had a, a book that he saw. So I run, and I just kind of have a flash of insight because I'm researching the books, right? alien books so i run to his i'm like i have a book on my kitchen table dining room table i'm like, paging through i'm like oh here it is <gasps> and he described it as being i think he said it was brown in his case but the et pointed to it the elder he calls the gray looking et says, gives it to him and says you need to read this and he's opening it up and he says it was very holographic and much of it he couldn't remember but the, after paging through it the gray came up to him and did a sort of download touched his head said you must remember this and you'll remember it when the time is right and he did and he devoted the last chapter of his book to it the whole last chapter is the contents of this alien book and it's so he remembered it wow mm. wow wow he remembered all of it that is extraordinary okay sorry please go on i just had to exclaim that's amazing yeah it was awesome so I skipped the last chapter, which I almost never do. <laughs> oh. I had to know. And uh, I don't want to give it all away. I couldn't possibly. But it was spiritual information, which was about the importance of love and how perception affects reality and how to levitate, um, which I thought was fascinating because I wrote a book on levitation many contactees have actually physically levitated when i asked dolly about that she's like oh yeah that happened to me i'm like oh here we go again 
so amazing but just really deeply deeply spiritual information and worth reading so yeah jeff selver s-e-l-v-e-r i will remember uh, that uh, we'll include it in the show notes as well for our viewers um had this experience and describes it in detail and it was really cool because he was able to really bring back a lot of the information whereas you know richard boylan uh, a researcher who i believe has passed away but wrote a book called close extraterrestrial encounters mm -hmm. which was really one of the first books to paint the contact experience in a positive light so good going richard boylan <laughs> uh, for doing that phd by the way <laughs> um and you know reported on the experience of a gentleman by, by the name of quote mike that could be a pseudonym who had this experience he was handed a book had this golden sun on the cover of it a really interesting symbol and they're like if ever you feel depressed look at this symbol read this book and when you are 30 years old you, you will remember it <laughs> They gave it to him when he was 11. Wow. And he paged through it and doesn't remember at that time what he saw. But, you know, age 30 rolls around and he's remembering his experiences. He's meeting with Richard Boylan. He's going under hypnotic regression. He's regressed to this incident where he was given the book and remembers all this. And doesn't, you know, it's not in detail. He wrote a fairly short summary of his experiences. So he didn't really get into whole detail of what he said, but he did reference the book. And he said that it changed him and that he feels like the information in this book helped him to balance his work life and his spiritual life, uh, which was a big struggle for him. And I think for a lot of us, yes, you know, living on earth and trying to figure out like, who are we and what am I doing here? How did this yeah. happen? And why is life so hard? Yeah, I think I think this is something you and I have also talked about in a previous interview or conversation that it, it often feels a bit like existing in two dimensions, you know, like you've got one foot in one dimension and another foot in another another dimension. And it's like, you know, or two surfboards and you're on the ocean and you're trying to keep your balance. It feels a bit like that to me, you know, and uh, perception, the fact that they mentioned perception being incredibly important. That's something I want to ask you about as well, because um the way that people communicate their experiences is, of course, just as important as them having the experience and talking about it, right? And as you were pointing out before, we have been sort of trained or conditioned to be very fear-based in how we approach most things, let's say, in life. And uh, so these are people who are trying to face their fears and investigate what happened to them and understand it and then communicate that to people, which I see, and I know you see this as well. And this is a big part of the reason that I really value your work and your books, because it is directly in contradiction to the mainstream message that comes from film, that comes from television, although it's changing now, but, you know, for a very long time, it was basically, you know, aliens are evil and they're going to come and take over the earth. Like they're going to make us our slaves and they're going to take us over and, you know, life as we know it is over, it's going to be awful and violent and traumatizing. That's really been the main narrative when it comes to so-called aliens, you know, in film, in books, and television. So when you're work like yours and work like the people that you're talking about, including Dolly Saffron, who's, I know it has not been easy for her to come forward um, after so many years of trying, trying to just have her experiences and avoid getting involved in conversation about it. 
but these are people who are being very courageous and who are really also um, providing a different narrative, you know, providing different opportunities to understand these experiences. And it's becoming, it seems like that stream of knowledge and that stream of information, these books, interviews, articles that people are giving about their own experiences or, you know, and or researchers like yourself, that that stream is widening. There's more and more people who are willing to share and able to share and want to participate in a different kind of dialogue about what's happening with Earth and ETs and UFOs and also many other paranormal topics. So I want, I would love it if you could speak to that. And I, as a touch point, maybe what you were saying earlier about how, you know, you first started having OBEs when you were a very fearful person. You were incredibly fearful. And that's when you started having those experiences. That cannot be a, <laughs> a coincidence, you know. So this is all tying to facing our fears, the fact that all of this stuff is here for a purpose to help us grow if we choose to do so. So can you speak to this sort of new way of approaching or emerging new dialogue that's coming into the field more and more um, as people open up and as people connect more and realize, oh my God, I'm not alone. There are millions of people all over the world who are having these experiences and thank God we're able to finally come out and share it. But it's coming out in mainstream media now. It's coming out. I mean, this is really an increasingly validated topic. So it's really fascinating to be alive in this time and witness all of that. What do you think is going on? Why do you think that this has happened now at this time? Yeah, well, I think we're at a critical period in Earth history. And, you know, it's not just me thinking this. I mean, mainstream scientists are like, well, our environment is, you know, becoming very damaged mm -hmm. you know we're chopping down the forests we've polluted our oceans and our rivers is a garbage dump that's massive you know there's plastic in almost all living creatures on this planet and it's you know our wars we've got a, the power to completely destroy our planet with nuclear proliferation mm -hmm. and i think this is really what we're looking at here why there's such widespread con contact, uh, which really uh, is historically unprecedented. We know ETs have been around forever. Yes. I, I mean, for millennia, uh, which is an important, important fact, because really, are they going to take over now after thousands, thousands of years? And they've always been here like now, <laughs> really? Um, yeah, okay. It's like, it's like flicking a domino for them, right? I mean, it's too easy. If they really wanted to do that, they could have done it any time. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just an important point. But I think what we're looking at is widespread contact being initiated because of largely the atomic age. It, it coincides pretty much precisely 1940s. So when we started exploding nuclear bombs, and that's when we, you know, 47 was a, this huge super wave was Roswell. It was sightings worldwide. That was initially just sightings. Yes, there's contact throughout the Middle Ages and the Renaissance era and ancient history, but and some waves of sightings, but never like, you know, modern times. And we're seeing a new level of activity, where it's not just sightings, it's landings. It's people being taken on board in large numbers. Mm -hmm. That I I cannot completely speak to that because I'm not really a historian, 
but we don't have really good evidence of widespread onboard experiences. Uh, and it could be because there wasn't a lot of education, a lot, uh, wasn't the communication age, you know, uh, a lot of people couldn't read and write. So perhaps there was, you know, widespread contact, but I don't think so. Uh, I think that what we're seeing is largely historically unprecedented due to the fact that we have reached a critical point where we do have the possible potential to destroy our planet, to destroy all life, to hurt each other to an irreparable degree. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ETs are like, hmm, here we go again. <laughs> you know, it's another Atlantis, so to speak. Uh, and uh, we're not, you know, let's do what we can. We can't step in and take over. Uh, it's up to humanity to solve their own problems. And I speak to this because this is what contactees have been told flat out. They have asked the ETs. I've got several cases, including Dolly's, but you know, many. I mean, there was a couple in Sedona who I interviewed. Said, no, we weren't abducted. They invited us on board and we went willingly. They were very nice. They healed us. He had carpal tunnel syndrome. And they asked, why did you, you know, why are you helping us? <laughs> you know, why, why don't you just heal everybody? And they said, well, we're helping you because you're helping others. They were alternative healers in their community in Hawaii. Oh, okay. They, they were very socially active. He would go around, repair people's homes. And she would do herbal healing. And they said, we are helping those who help others. And it's like, why don't you just come down and <laughs> fix things? And they said, we can't. It's up to you to solve your own problems. It, yeah. it would not help you at all if we were to hand you the answers. So I think what we're seeing is widespread contact with people being taken on board, often healed, particularly those who are, because I looked into this too. <laughs> like, why is this person being healed and not that one? It is, you know, Betty and Barney Hill were social workers. And I and when I interviewed Michael Carter, uh, he's you know fighting against racism. John Hunter Gray, an award-winning so social worker, a lady in Norway, she was healed. And I asked her, "What do you do?" She's like, "Well, you know, please don't use my name. I'm very active with animal and human rights in my country." So I started to see a pattern of who's being contacted, who's being healed. It's good people. Contactees are so nice. They're the nicest people. They're very psychic. They are doctors, they're nurses, teachers, writers, artists, musicians, inventors, social workers, social workers, social workers, envir environmentalists. Mm -hmm. So this is what the ETs are doing. And this speaks to their agenda. And this is more good, solid, firsthand, not speculative evidence of their agenda. They are waking people up. This is their agenda to get us off fossil fuels, to warn us about pollution, to warn us of greed and corruption, to warn us of our warlike ways, to psychically wake people up. People who have contact, as a general rule, have precognition, can do hands-on healing, have levitated, have precognition. Did I mention that already? Yes. <laughs> uh, Out-of-body experiences, <laughs> um, astral travel, channeling, psychic reading. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very, very spiritual experience for people. Mm -hmm. And it's not a coincidence. This is, ETs speak telepathically. 
uh, as a general rule, almost always, and people who come away from contact have that ability to a certain degree can start doing telepathy. Can you imagine, Sinead, if we were all telepathic? Goodbye, lies. Goodbye, <laughs> free. Goodbye corruption. Goodbye. Oh, it would be so or... incredibly helpful. Yeah, it would be so incredibly helpful. I mean, you really know what other people were truly seeing, thinking, and they would know what you were thinking. But I think also it lends to accountability, doesn't it? Because if you know that you're more transparent, you have to be more accountable. You can't hide your deeds and, like you said, lies. So, yeah, I mean, and the fact is we are all tele telepathic. I mean, I, I've spoken to a couple of people recently who were guests for our show that, um, that have said that, you know, tele telepathy, and I relate to this, I don't know how many people do, but from what I, my experience has been interviewing people for a few years now, this is a common reaction that people go, oh yeah, I've had telepathic moments or I've had, I had one, this one time with a friend where we just knew exactly what the other person was thinking and we both have never forgotten it. You know, I mean, I think, Many people have had experiences like that. It's just that we're so trained to brush them off, dismiss them, at, dismiss it as a coincidence, you know, as something cool or funny or weird. But um, it takes a certain kind of receptivity and a certain kind of listening and a certain kind of sensitivity to be able to take it further and see it as a lesson or a doorway that you can walk through to something more. And I feel so excited personally about the fact that, you know, we're living in a time where, as we were just saying, so many more people are coming out of the woodwork and sharing experiences, more books are getting published on these topics, more, it just seems like more mainstream validation, uh, not that we need the validation of the mainstream, but it is important in terms of a bridge, right, to get to people who may benefit from this kind of um, knowledge or information, you know, even if it just plants a little seed in their consciousness, and so it's important that it does get out into so-called mainstream news or media or whatever. And it's getting there now too. the Washington Post, the New York Times. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is big time, right? So we're living in such an amazing um, time of human development. And I, this is something that I wanted to ask you about with regard to love and that message that is so pervasive with the ETs. You have received it. I have received it. You know, it is definitely, I, in, in my limited experience compared to yours again, um, the number one message, the number one message is love. The number one message is, you know, becoming, become a more heart-centered, heart-consciousness-aware person and live your life like that as much as you can because it translates to all the problems that you were saying humanity has, our treatment of the earth, of animals, of each other, of children, it all is a lack of sensitivity, a lack of compassion, a lack of heart consciousness, essentially, right? So here we are living in this weird third dimension, which is incredibly dualistic. And that is the natural order of things, it seems, in this dimension, that the natural balance is duality. So on one hand, we have love. And there's a lot of love in our world. There's a lot of love in our reality. You know, everyone hopefully has experienced love in their life. You know, a friend, a pet, a parent, a teacher, doesn't matter. But then we also have the worst of humanity in the other side. So on the other, in the other hand, so let's pretend that we're looking at like, uh, I forget what they're called, but one of those, oh, a pendulum. Okay, so the pendulum has these two extremes and they exist together. And we're trying to get to that middle place of balance of centeredness, of awareness, where we're not too swayed to one side and not too swayed to the other, because 
we also can't live in a state of elation. And as you put it earlier, rainbows and puppy dogs, that's not a realistic <laughs> way of living either, right? Other than being, being pessimistic. So in your, in your knowledge and your experience, both personally and otherwise, what do you think that people need to do to experience more love within themselves and be able to participate in sending that vibration out into the world? Because I, I know OBEs have done a lot for you in that way. Maybe you can touch on that, but what, what would you suggest to people that they can practice or, you know, a mindset they can carry with them to help them nurture that fire of love that we all need to be sending out right now? Yeah. Gosh. Um, I think people almost universally will agree that love is, you know, a huge, powerful force. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, you know, one of the biggest forces in the universe. And that love is important. And it's a great thing. Uh, if you talk to people who had near death experiences, uh, almost always, this is what the message is. Yeah, love allow love to guide your actions you know love and knowledge is where it's at which is the same message from the ets and i think for, for people who are here on this planet it's difficult uh, because we have a lot of fear we have a lot of issues we have to deal with uh, but i think it's very important that people recognize that one death is a lie mm -hmm. it's not true it just doesn't exist in the way it's advertised my analogy is it's like moving to Hawaii. <laughs> it's like the, the best thing ever. I mean, it really is. And that goes, you know, that's what I learned from the OBEs. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no such thing as death. So stop being afraid of it. Move past fear. If you have fears, well, face it. There's a standard psychological technique of desensitizing. If you're scared of heights, well, you know, walk to the edge of the cliff and look down. If you're scared of spiders, you know, go, go look at some pictures of them. Whatever your fear is, face it and deal with it. Uh, meditation, I cannot recommend it enough. Mm -hmm. It's in every spiritual practice. It's in every religion. Uh, every so-called, you know, spiritual master agrees upon the power of meditation. It's incredibly helpful in numerous ways. Mm -hmm. And you don't, have to do anything special. You don't have to be a you know an enlightened monk to be able to do it. It's just physically and mentally relaxing. That's all it is. You don't have to you know burn incense or anything. It's just sit down and relax. And four or five minutes, you know, before you go to bed, when you wake up in the middle of the day, it, it's incredibly helpful. That's how I started doing OBEs because that was one of the exercises. Is basically meditating and i'm like wow that worked i think people need to look at themselves and realize like you are okay yes you, know, you, you are a good person uh and recognize that you are actually a part of this universe and just to be is enough you are valid you don't need to look outside for validation you are an indivisible integral part of the universe and because of that, and I think this is inescapable, you have all the power of the universe within you. You are unlimited. You are immortal, immortal. You are eternal. You are autonomous. 
Love that. It's awesome. It's the best gift ever. <laughs> it really is. It really oh my is. Gosh, you know, experiences can be when my mom died, it was the worst thing I ever went through. Turned out to have a huge silver lining. This pandemic was, gosh, so challenging. And yet, what did it do? People like, you know what? I'm quitting this job I hate. You know, I, I am living with my family and they realize the importance of love. I'm like, hmm, maybe we should start gardening now. <laughs> the grocery stores are, you know, emptying out. And you know, people are learning some really good lessons. They really are. It's the nature of life. So yeah, love. A lot. I think if people just allowed love and compassion and truth to guide their actions, we'd be a lot better off. Don't buy into the lies. Don't, you know, do your own research. You know, there's a lot of disinformation, particularly in the UFO field. And it disturbs me. And I'm very concerned that people are like waiting for our government to tell us the truth about this. Right. Don't hold your breath. They may tell you like, oh, we think it might be X. It hurt <laughs> them to say extraterrestrials. You could see that it just pains them. But what did they say about Roswell? Nothing. It's a balloon. Yeah. Haven't mentioned the Phoenix Lights. You know, people who are taken on board, you're still crazy. Sorry. And maybe those 144 reports we got, one's a balloon. We know that. That's what they said. Like, why are we even telling them one's a balloon? We think this could be Russian technology or Chinese, or maybe even our own. They said, <laughs> maybe even our own technology. I'm like, wait, you're the Pentagon. <laughs> and you're telling us it's you but you're not sure <laughs> yeah something's not adding up. <laughs> yeah so yeah. don't look to the government the liars so, well, let me just rephrase that this you know they are lying flat out we know this they're covering it up it's not speculation don't look to them for answers they're i don't think they have our best interests in mind uh maybe not the government as we know it you know the senators and mayors and representatives and governors, presidents are all only so much within the one percenter, the, the control group who has their hands on this technology, the military industrial complex, the yes. Pentagon, yes, the Navy, the NSA, the intelligence agencies. We know who's behind this, <laughs> you know, the insurance agencies, the bankers, the oil industry, uh, the drug industry, pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm naming it because that's where I've tracked down to. And I think it's, it's not really my specialty. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not really into the whole negative and conspiratorial aspect of this, but you cannot avoid it. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think it is important to be realistic, right? I mean, you have to work with the reality that exists around you. And, um, you know, in the 3D, this is what we are experiencing. And so I think, you know, it is, I agree with you, it's necessary to talk about it. It is not avoidable. And it's something that we need to be aware of as part of the, in, you know, again, dualistic kind of wholeness of our experience here on this earth. So yeah, while we got, these... we got to have fun, that's how I always end my videos. Enjoy your life, have fun. <laughs> Yes. Be positive. We have to yes. live our life in love and joy. I Sorry, love I that. Jump in. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, you know, it, people might think that that's living in a rainbows and puppy dogs way. But, you know, it, it isn't if you have, if you ground yourself in how to do that. 
And so I really appreciate the things you were mentioning, you know, like meditation, meditation is incredibly grounding, even if you do it for five minutes a day, as you were suggesting, or, you know, various short periods through the day, um, practicing OBEs, just experimenting with what your mind can do alone is a wonderful thing to play with. But, you know, we do have to have ways of grounding ourselves in our practice and keeping ourselves in a place where we're not going to be so disappointed, discouraged, angry about the way power is being used in our reality and realize that we always have power ourselves. So I really love what you said about the fact that, you know, each one of us is essentially a universe. We are infinite. We are eternal, meaning that we are consciousness, not our bodies. So earlier when you were talking about death not being real, it's the body that dies, but not the consciousness. The consciousness is energy. It keeps existing and goes into another body. So we have all these opportunities, lifetime after lifetime, to learn, right? And some of us do, and some of us don't. We're all on our individual paths. But there's a lot of theorizing going on right now about where we're all going and, you know, the choices that we're making with our environment, with nature, ourselves, each other, um, that this is going to create, because physics has now verified that we live in a multidimensional reality, you know, that is a fact, there's a lot of theorizing about these different realities that we could end up with or end up in on this planet, depending on our choices, our mindset, our attitude, how much love we're practicing and putting out into the world, things like that. So do you have any sense of um, what those timelines look like? Do, do you think that that, is a, that that is a realistic way of looking at it, to have different timelines that are stretching off into the future? We can kind of choose which one we're going to end up on depending on our mindset and so on. Is this something that you're hearing about in your research? Is this a message you're getting from ETs? I'm asking it this in many different ways, but I'm curious if you have any sense, because you mentioned precognition as well, right? Do you have any sense of what is ahead for us? Um, I feel like we are, this is hard, hard question to answer. Um, the contactees are pretty uh, consistent and their messages from the ETs in that we are up for some difficult times because of how we treated our environment and each other. Mm -hmm. And that the nuclear proliferation and the pollution and our warlike ways and the greed and corruption has led to a very critical situation where there could very well be, you know, widespread loss of life because we've made our bed and now we have to sleep in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kevin Cannon, who I mentioned earlier, who had seen, you know, the room expanding and contracting, had this long conversation with the praying mantis ETs, is typical of contactees in that he was shown future events. And he said it was amazing because the wall turns transparent and they're showing them these full-on living color scenes. It was like looking out of a window. This was not like a movie. This was like he actually was there watching it. And they told him, since you started exploding nuclear bombs, nuclear materials, you have started a countdown clock. That's the word they use, countdown clock. And it said, these events will happen and you cannot stop them. And they showed him hurricanes, lots of hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, landslides, tsunamis widespread environmental disasters. This is very, very common. I hear from so many contactees, whether it's in a dream state they've had or a distinct message, 
it's very consistent mm -hmm. another lady in maine has really awake contact and they told her you need to stop putting out the greed and corruption you're putting out or you will destroy your planet like we did if people should start disappearing from this planet it's being done by us for the universal good we've been working with your genetics for millennia we elevated the emotional intelligence of dogs and cats <laughs> so they can interact better with you they said what well, who you thought were angels most of the time that was us they said i think katrina was bad that ain't nothing to, to what you're facing in the future which turned out to be true and uh so this is the message we're getting and i don't want to be all doom and gloom because yeah. i do i don't think that's the takeaway here yeah uh because one there is no death so, so don't fear death you know it's a it's a wonderful thing death is very healing it's a wonderful experience i'm not saying rush forward to it live your life on earth it's very important mm -hmm. uh but don't fear it mm -hmm. and it's not what you think it is it's really nice <laughs> and I, I can tell you this from personal experience and i can you know i've taught people how to have obes but you know i've had you know this lady in maine who does not want her real name use i call her lynette ET's told her, oh yeah, we're lifting people off. I have my own cases of this. There was a lady I interviewed in Louisiana, Pat Cates is her name, who was taken to the eruption of the Nevado del Ruiz volcano in, gosh, when was this, 1986? Wow. Thereabouts. And lifted people out of this village, the town of Armero. And pulled over a thousand people she thinks probably it was closer to two or four thousand because there was another craft uh -huh. out of this village people just followed right in you know no questioning the volcano erupts the nevada del ruiz and sends a mud flow over the town of armero and kills officially at the death tolls twenty-three thousand people wow and i'm going to bring that down to you know a few thousand at least because these ets lifted these people off mm -hmm. i don't think they put them back and this is the message i hear from many contactees the, the sky is filling with ufos landing like go on board the time is now and according to dolly and she her case is more extensive you know dolly saffron yes uh, is more extensive than really anyone i've interviewed or read about even her case is amazing and she's like I said, filling in all the dots. And she says, yeah, we're in for it. You know, we're possibly going to be a magnetic pole shift, uh, micronova from our sun, uh, huge CMEs, coronal mass ejections, which knock out all the electricity. And at some point, the ETs will come and lift people off. I'm like, yes, I've heard this before. And she's proven her story to me. So She's got photographs. I mean, she's got a lot of evidence. Yes. Uh, so uh, I, I'm beginning to reach this point. Like, okay, you know, maybe we should start listening to contactees. <laughs> uh, you know, we really should, and stop polluting, stop killing each other, mm -hmm. and be ready for open official contact. Uh, because if we re reach out to them, you know, if we can all just lay down our arms, if we can learn to love each other and raise ourselves spiritually like they're trying so hard to get us to do yeah 
we it won't be nearly as traumatic and can you imagine how wonderful it would be to have a new age where you don't need money anymore you don't need to pay taxes yeah you have, you have access to actual advanced health care that you know you live on a planet that's not polluted anymore you can work for each other in harmony um, and that's why I think this is such wonderful news because mm -hmm. we don't have to live this way anymore and I I honestly can't wait and I don't know what the timeline is uh Dolly says it's not long <laughs> yeah that's what I'm hearing as well you know she says the CME event could happen in you know three years or less yeah uh, yeah so I don't know but I tend to think yeah it's gonna happen <laughs> To be honest, I wouldn't be completely surprised either. And like you, I don't believe in being doom and gloom and, you know, walking through life as a negative person. I think, you know, cultivating a, a, a mindset of positivity, realistic positivity, not, not being positive about everything all the time to the point that it's ridiculous, you know, which has become a kind of practice in our society these days. But, you know, being positive and optimistic in a grounded way and still being a realist. But, you know, that's what I'm also seeing. That's what I'm also hearing is that, we're in for something very big and that uh, COVID is, is, you know, part of what's preparing us for that. And that there's a reason why COVID has been such a, or the pandemic period of time has been such a, a catalyst for so many people to go into spiritual wellness, right? I mean, as you were alluding to before, so many people just in North America alone, I'm in Canada, if you're in the U.S., but just in North America alone, the number of people that have changed their lives dramatically because they had time to to stop and think about how they were living, how they actually want to live, what's really important to them. You know, people had a minute to stop and be with themselves in a way that we haven't had maybe ever, you know, in not in modern society, that's for sure. So because everything is dualistic in this, in this dimension, the pandemic has been really awful in some ways and really positive in other ways. And I think that you know, the way that we are going has a lot to do with our choices right now, which is, of course, what you've been saying throughout this interview. We have to decide now to live with love in our hearts, to take better care of the earth, to be gentler and kinder and more compassionate. And at the same time, we're being very, very, very challenged to do that because we're living in a time where we're under a great deal of stress and tension. There's a war going on. There is economic uncertainty. You know, all the fears that we have been taught to respond to are being triggered, right? Yep. And so it really seems like, oh my God, this is a terrible, awful time. At the same time, fear, as you and I have been talking about for a while, is an opportunity in many ways, an opportunity to face yourself, see what stuff you're really made of, inspire other people, make a contribution. So I think you are bringing up something that is so incredibly important you know we need to be able to be realistic and to not turn away from our responsibility and our accountability but then also be willing to participate in the process that we're all co-creating together right this this earth that we live on is shared by all of us so I really love that you make a point of mentioning in all of your books that the ETs have consistently given these messages of support right of knowledge of many different kinds technology healthcare all kinds of different things that hopefully they will share with us and you were alluding to the fact that they've been around for millennia doing this so can you talk to could we have actually paul wallace coming up soon as a guest um which we're looking forward to he's somebody who's going back to the bible and michael j carter was our very first guest on this podcast he also has gone back to the bible 
he's a good friend and you know has has these people these are people who are going back to our origins many other people as well and uncovering truths that have existed all along that we have not had access to so we're looking back in a new way at our origins and our trajectory through the human condition and then we're also looking forward to what could be coming next it's a lot to think about isn't it <laughs> I mean, yeah. right. We're living at a really pivotal time. There's so much coming at us. And you were just saying that this time has been quite intense for you on a personal level. So I wanted to ask you, as we're talking about, you know, we're painting this picture of the world that we're living in for the people that are listening to, to us right now. But I want to take it back to you as a personal, you know, in, just as an individual living your life, forget the authorship and the research you're doing <laughs> yourself, Preston Dennett, as an individual, how are you, where are you at in your life right now with your own journey and all these things that you've learned and the, you know, the mindset that you have, the attitude you have about our eternal nature, of course, come from the learning you've done, but where are you right now in your life as an experiencer and a spiritual person who sees all these things going on? <laughs> all right. I love this. Because uh, <laughs> Usually I'm talking about other people, which is fine. And all right, myself. Okay. <laughs> we'll go there. Fine. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, life is a journey, obviously. And uh, I came into this thinking, I'm going to, research this. This is very interesting. I love this. I love writing these books. I love talking about other people's experiences and figuring things out. To a certain extent, I think we as researchers and authors are doing our research to help ourselves and figure it out for ourselves uh, what is going on. Mm -hmm. And it's come to my, I mean, I do have a sort of a new awareness of things and my own involvement with this. And uh, I'm like, okay, this isn't my family. <laughs> I fit the pattern. You know, I have fit the pattern of a contactee. Who am I kidding? Why am I in denial? I am on some level a contactee. I've had missing time. Huh. <laughs> you know, because that sighting, you know, which I remembered, we spoke about earlier, the, yeah. the orb came from, someone asked me like, well, what happened after that? I'm like, what do you mean? It says, well, did you drive home? <laughs> you know, I did. I'm like, huh. <laughs> I, oh. I had missing, you know, I don't remember driving home. I think I had missing time. I honestly do. And, and uh, I started to really pay attention to these weird dreams I'm having where I'm in these rounded rooms and there's a eight foot tall being in a jumpsuit <laughs> and he's showing me around and the wall turns transparent and we're underwater and he's exuding intelligence and love and spirituality and i can't see his face i'm like huh because huh. how many experiences have i said who told me you know i couldn't see their faces it was blurred out i'm like Ooh. i forgot about the ufo sighting I'm like how could you forget a ufo landing in front of you <laughs> i get it you know and i did have another and i'll call it a dream but i kind of know it's not uh Maybe this is what happened during a missing time experience because I had this, I've been, you know, I don't, I haven't gone under hypnosis. I want to remember naturally through meditation, through dreams. Mm -hmm. So I would often give that suggestion. I had this dream fairly recently, a year ago, where I was in this rounded room and there were all these tables and there's young men and I'm young and we're all learning about free energy. <laughs> And there's this 
little machine and they're like here's you know study this and my first instinct was to of course look for the plug <laughs> and i'm looking under the table i'm like there's no plug you know this is very bizarre and uh it was just big clean rounded room and you know must have been 50 people in there and we're all at our little separate workstations and they're like okay now we want you to see something and i didn't see any ets that i can remember but there was someone there i just didn't don't remember but they took us out to the, the edge, right? To this platform and the entire wall goes transparent and you could see the Milky Way. I'm assuming it was the Milky Way, but not like anything I've ever seen because you can see it in a picture or a telescope or on TV or go outside and look at it. But this was dark, real, so detailed, so bright. I mean, it was mind blowing. I'm like, whoa, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life yeah i can imagine wow so i'm like hmm. so yeah i think on some level because i've had a bunch of dreams where i'm holding babies <laughs> you know i love babies and you know interviewing people who have contact they're like hold the baby hold the baby give it love I'm like, could this be happening to me so this is kind of where i'm at right now i'm like trying to wrap my head around am i a contactee no 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 oh. well wait 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 maybe i am Maybe I, yes. I did have missing time. I have seen UFOs at least a dozen times, uh, which are beyond just lights, you know, because I don't, I, I'll, I'm skeptical. If I see a light in the sky and it could be a shooting star, I'm sorry. That's going to be where I'm just going to end it. Uh, so, yeah, I think on some level, that's kind of where I'm at. And the OBEs are ramping up. Ooh, the experiences I've had. Ah. Oh, well, see, this is why we want to have you back. I mean, I wanted to, Jen and I discussed this. We wanted to have you on yourself tonight to introduce, to introduce you really to our listeners and to our audience as you and as the author and as a researcher and talk about everything you're doing. And uh, so your OBE experiences are fascinating. And so I think that, you know, we need to have Dolly Saffron on, as I said to you before we start recording, so that she can tell her story. You can go deeper into your amazing book, your newest book, Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure, which is number one on Amazon in the ufology category, which just makes us both happy. And it's not even my book, and I'm happy for you. <laughs> it was so, number one. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's bouncing around a little bit, but yeah. It's bouncing around a little bit, but it, it's holding one. up. It's holding up. Yeah, it's holding up. And it went, it shot up there pretty quickly. So, I mean, you're really gaining traction as a voice in the community. And I really, really, really appreciate your groundedness, you know, your authenticity, your honesty, and the fact that you're coming with this message of love and of, you know, lack of fear or confronting fear, using fear as a lesson, right? As something to empower ourselves with. And that no matter what our future looks like, you're still delivering this encouraging message, right? That we, I think that part of what I'm getting uh, as I listen to you is that uh, this feeling that we're not, or the reminder that we're not stuck on earth, you know, like it's not like, and, and, and I say stuck very sarcastically because earth is incredible and I love being here. I think this is the most incredible planet, um, but we're definitely not taking care of her properly. So, you know, the fact that, uh, the environment is showing us very loudly and the weather patterns as well, all the climate change that's going on is showing us very loudly that the earth is having a really hard time as a result of what we've been doing. It can give us this feeling like, oh my God, we have to get out of here. How can we avoid this? And it is helpful and encouraging to remember that this is earth school. We are here for a reason. There are lessons that we are here to learn 
we are not going to die and disappear forever after hurricanes come, although that's, you know, it's possible hurricanes will come, of course, but we're not going to disappear forever. Our consciousness is going to go on forever. We're going to be able to continue to work on ourselves, our con the conscious beings that we actually are, and choose to make contributions to our own lives, to each other, and to whatever planet we end up on, whatever galaxy we're floating around it. So I really, really appreciate that you bring that message. You know, it's not one that is, um, that is terrifying, that is scary. It's one that's very realistic, that is grounded, that is grounded in amazing extensive research you've done for such a long time. And I'm surprised to hear, frankly, that you're not sure if you're a contactee or not. I really thought all this time that you had considered yourself a contactee. So we have to have you back to talk about <laughs> that and to talk with Dolly and to talk about your new book. And I really want to leave people with how they can find you. So, because we've got more to talk about and, you know, you have so much to share. I want people to be able to find your books and find your, your channel. So how can people find you to learn out, to learn more about what you're doing? <laughs> Thanks, Sinead. Too bad we couldn't get more into the OBEs. Oh, I lo <laughs> love that so much. But maybe <laughs> another time. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks very much. I do have a website, prestondennett.weebly.com is the address, but just type in my name. It should take you there. Okay. And you can, of course, contact me through the website. All my books are there, excerpts and so forth. I'm all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Wonderful. Books are, books are on Amazon. Uh, symmetry is brand new, but I'm already working on another. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> uh, it's pretty much done. I just need to get it illustrated and proofread and so forth. And wow, I'm going to put out another one on the OBEs because man, oh man, I cannot recommend those enough. I just had some major, major ones. Okay. Well, give us a teaser. Um, I can't, I can't just leave it at that now. You have to give us a teaser of your OBEs and then we'll, lead <laughs> into, we'll, we'll, we'll go back into it for your, your second, your part two interview with us. All right. Well, I'll give you my most recent one, which was so yeah. helpful and healing for me because very sadly and tragically, my young nephew passed away, mm -hmm. James, who I adore, obviously. And so our whole family is real shook up. And pretty much every time someone passes away, I'm like, hmm, I'm going to go see them. I know I will. It always happens. Mm -hmm. it happened that night, what? that night, which has never happened to me before. Uh, and uh, I suddenly found myself out of body. I'm like, oh, great. You know, I know what I want to do. I want to see James. And I found myself in this long, dark tunnel, like a corridor, very narrow. And there were people in it. And I'm like, have you seen James? But they were out of it. They had newly passed. I could tell. And I'm like, well, look, there's a bright light at the end of this tunnel. This is like a near-death experience, kind of. But you're, you're in control. And so I'm like, let's get to the end of this tunnel. And I'm like going as fast as I could. You know, sometimes I don't have a whole lot of time. And I got to the end and I opened out into this bright, bright room filled with people. It's massive. It's a gymnasium filled with people. Oh. I'm, like, I'm like, wow, look at this. And they're all wandering around. I'm like, these people have all passed away recently. This is amazing. Because this is my impression. You get a lot of impressions when you're OBE. Uh -huh. And I looked to my left and there was a lady sitting at a table smiling. <laughs> very pleasant looking lady with curly dark hair dark eyes sitting at a little desk and she caught my eye and I'm like oh she's a greeter she's a guide and so I walked up to her I'm like hi she smiles I'm like maybe you could help me I'm looking for my nephew James Rahula and she smiled and she says yes uh what did she say 
um, turn around. He's right behind you. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so I whirled around and there he was. And I, and I looked up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot. James is like six foot one. I forgot that he was that tall. And everyone who's passed over, they're very, <laughs> very tall. I mean, okay. they stand up straight. That's what I'm trying to say. They've got great posture. <laughs> they're just feeling really good and their chest is thrust out and they're glowing. I'm like, James, oh my God, look at you. I grabbed his hands and he squeezed them really hard. I'm like, James, I love you so much. And I really love you. How are you doing? And he squeezed my hands again. He says, I love you too, Preston. And you know what? I'm actually doing really good. I am actually just fine. I'm like, oh, wow, that is so awesome. And I just can't help but just soak up a person's presence because uh, I was almost speechless. And I'm like trying to think of all the questions I wanted to ask him, but I couldn't. He's, he laughed in his way, which is really funny. He's got a funny chuckle. And he says, you know, Preston, really like your YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm like, what? He says, that video, those videos are really interesting. You're doing good work. It's important. I love that one with the yellow blue lights i knew which one he was talking about which made wow. me laugh and feel really good and i'm like oh james i want to talk about you you're talking about me <laughs> he's trying to make me feel better mm -hmm. and i was just so overcome with the emotion that it pulled me back in my body and i woke up and i'm like i'm okay i'm okay now he's I, that's what i needed yeah because you know a death is crushing it can yeah. this crushing empty grief that's very hard to get over and that sped up the process. So that was my latest. I told the family, of course, some believe me, some are looking like, mm, okay. <laughs> but his parents are like, oh, thank you so much, Christy. Okay, so it did help. Okay, that was my next mm. question is if people heard that. I mean, we do, anyone who's into NDEs, you know that um, there's a huge amount of evidence, you know, that of the consistency of that message that the, the loved one who's passed on really wants the people who are left behind to know that they're okay and to know that the transition occurred and they're all right and they're going to move on to the next level of whatever and they're they're all right in that space between lives right there's so much evidence for that and it can be really reassuring for us to know that but if you're able to hear it so with your family considering that you have all had such extensive you know unusual paranormal experiences that's really amazing that you live in a family where you can say that you can share that you had that experience and you can have that be heard and have it bring comfort to the people that you love who are also grieving. That's really beautiful. That's really, really, really wonderful. And I hope for everyone to be able to have those kinds of experiences, you know, to, to that's what happens when we gain more awareness of what our reality really is and how we can actually work with it. So your OBE experiences are a wonderful, wonderful example of that. And I love that we can't get into this right now because unfortunately we don't have enough time, but we will do this next time when you come back. Um, because that's a topic that you and I talked about extensively before, and I'm really fascinated with how you are practicing it, how you're making it a methodology, and how you're experimenting with different things regarding what you are able to do with your mind when you choose to leave your body. Because I know some of the OBEs are spontaneous and some are on purpose for you, right? Is that is that? Yeah, the okay. I would say it's mostly purposeful. Yes. Um, and I'm mostly in control, but yeah, it does kind of happen, you know. I don't have complete control. Like I'm going out of body tonight. <laughs> I try every night, you know, and then sometimes oh. it works. <laughs> well, that's amazing. I've got to hear more about that. And Preston, really, you just have so much to share. I mean, it's impossible to get through all the incredible stuff that you know about. So we're going to have to keep chatting and just have you back on. <laughs> so you could keep sharing 
um, definitely your book is out, but you have that new one that you just said that's completed. When can we expect that one to come out as well? Uh, definitely this year. It all okay. depends on, you know, various factors because, you know, how life is. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's fully done. Not from here. Volume four. I'm super excited about this one. Oh my goodness. Can you give us a little teaser about what's in there? Oh gosh. <laughs> a, little, a little nug. Oh, um, I've got some really cool, unusual aspects that I've covered in detail. And I'm kind of reluctant to tell because I don't want to other people to start, you know, because I've had this happen. A lot of my research has been lifted. I've had people, you know, publish, publish my stuff. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> so I'm kind of reluctant to, to say exactly what it contains, but it's all about the more unusual outlying aspects of ufo contact you know weird patterns uh so i think people will find it very interesting um definitely but uh, yeah some i'm reluctant to tell you any real detail at this I point i completely understand <laughs> yeah i completely understand no pressure whatsoever you know not, it is your not quite your there baby. yet yeah, <laughs> i get it i get it it's, it's a baby. it's your 30th baby so, you know you've had lots of practice you know how to protect those babies so I, I hear you we don't have to say anything about it at all and actually that's kind of enticing you know we're not going to say anything you just have this fabulous new book about something that is coming out this year so please everyone look for that and uh for Preston's other 29 books and his innumerable articles lots of interviews wonderful conversations and he's got an active Facebook page where he's always posting little thoughts or questions or insights or anecdotes that he wants to share so um you know stay tuned to preston and you'll know what's up in ufology that's for sure and preston it really has been a pleasure having you thank you so much for being here tonight jenna really genuinely sends her regrets she's not well but she will be here the next time we record with hopefully dolly saffron that would be an amazing story to share with our audience and uh just really appreciate your time preston and your mindset and your wonderful heart so thank you so much for being here <laughs> hey, it's been a true honor and a pleasure thanks Sinead.